the podcast where music meets sports. I'm Gannon Hannibal, and you're listening to What's the Score? What's the Score? What's going on, Blaze Radio listeners? You're listening to What's the Score? That's the one and only radio show and podcast on Blaze Radio that combines music and sports. We are here today with Peyton Gallagher, the brand new production director at Blaze Radio. Last semester, we tried to run through the board of directors. Uh, We've got some new members of the board this semester, so we're going to make sure we get back to them this time around. Peyton, where am I getting you from right now? Uh, We're down here in sunny Phoenix, Arizona. Yeah, it's 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 sunny, but it's a little chilly. Is is what I've noticed. Chilly uh, for you, seventy to seven. It's seventy today. I just went out for a long walk. Seventy in January, being cold is a foreign concept to me. Yeah, I'm a Vegas guy, so I'm this. When it gets under sixty, it's it's jacket weather for me, uh, especially in the evenings. I guess it gets a little windy. We even caught a little bit of rain yesterday, which is not a not a common sight down here. Um, but I know you, uh, you had a, a radio show going back in Knoxville for a little bit last semester. Um, how, how did that experience come about? Uh, so I wasn't doing anything. I didn't like that. I wasn't doing anything. So I asked myself, what could I do while I was sitting at home? Um, waiting out the pandemic a little bit last semester back home in Tennessee. Um, and I had worked an internship at this station in Knoxville previously during my senior year of high school, the Fox sports affiliate, I knew the guy who owned the station. I just kind of texted him up one day and said, Hey, yo, here's my business plan. Um, here's why it could be mutually beneficial to both of us. Can I convince you to give me this open spot in your programming roster? And he's like, sure. And then I did a radio show for a couple months. It really was kind of as simple as that. Wow. So as you just kind of reached out and create an opportunity for yourself there. Yeah, I mean, that's everything, especially now in this this climate. And it was cool because I got to define it by myself, right? Like it was going to be equal parts, nothing and everything, um, depending on how much effort I put into it, right? So it was completely self-determinant. If I didn't put any effort into the show, it would fail. If I put all my effort into this show, it could be whatever I wanted it to be. And that was a cool experience, you know, just kind of being out there in the real world and doing something on yourself. Well, I mean, you talk about this sort of self-determination a little bit. And, and for me, I think, I think first impressions are important. And, and I know one of my first impressions of you is I, I saw you on Twitter. I think you might've followed me or you might've followed someone I know or whatever. And I remember I saw you on Twitter and your pinned tweet, I'm not sure if it still is your pinned tweet, but you had the post-it note with, with the list of goals that you wanted to achieve. To talk to me a little bit about that. So, yeah, every New Year's I've actually, I've got a whiteboard um, right to the left of me with like my to-do list, which is like 26 things long today. Um, <laughs> things I've got to keep straight, right? At the bottom of that list, it, uh, at the bottom of that board, I've got uh, moving from left to right, my goals written down on post-it notes. And it's something that I picked up. My aunt and uncle um, are really successful um, house builders and realtors down in Atlanta, like do stuff for like NFL players, humble brag. <laughs> um, no, but like they're really successful people. Right. And I don't have a ton of family. They're really kind of outside of my immediate family. They're really the only family that I've got. 
so when they say something, I take it to heart. Um, and I think it may have been like the sophomore year of my uh, sophomore year in high school, right? Um, and we vacationed together, and they just wanted to talk to me. They set me aside because they knew that I had this goal. You know, I big talk. I'm going to call the Rose Bowl since middle school. Um, and they set me aside, and it's like, okay, it's good to say that, right? And it's good to think you can do that, but it's one thing to say it out loud. It's another thing to put it into practice. Um, and what they instilled in me that day was that you have to be, and this is cliche as hell, but as process oriented as you are result oriented and you have to love the process enough because eventually it's going to love you back and you have to take it once at a time. So you set goals, you do it in segments though. It's not like I'm just going to call the Rose Bowl. It's okay. How do I get to a network where I can eventually work my way up and call the Rose Bowl and doing it process um, step by step like that. So I write down my every New Year's Eve or New Year's Day, I will write down my goals for the next day, which is a little bit more metaphysical and those change throughout the year, the week, the month, the year, and then a 10 year goal, which is obviously, you know, call the Rose Bowl. That, that, that is the 10 year goal. Um, and you just kind of, you know, you take it step by step and you reverse engineer the steps from your 10 year goal and work on, on down to what am I going to do today to help me make progress towards that goal. Right. So that's kind of the goals list and in the post-it notes. Wow. Okay. That's that's a, that's a backstory. I, I would not have known, but I, I think it's kind of cool that, it, you know, it comes from, it comes from, you said a conversation with your family. Uh, I think that's where I feel like a lot of inspiration for people comes from. Uh, and, and I know it seems like for you, I remember one of the things on there, I think you had like make your mom proud on there was, was, was one of the things on there. So I'm sure family keeps you motivated too. Um, what, what, what else keeps you motivated to, to stay on that, that path to make sure that 10 year goal is still in the, uh, in the, in up ahead on the, on the road here. Well, yeah, man, like I'll think about it. I'll get emotional like, a little bit too. Like, yeah, but it's going to be like to, because, you know, just staying in the motif of family here, like my parents came from very blue chip backgrounds and I was fortunate enough to grow up in a situation where admittedly a pretty affluent, you know, I never wanted for much of anything. Um, you know, dad came from a really tough situation in a small southern town, kind of grew up on his own. Mom, very middle class, Kansas City um, family, worked her way up. They both became doctors. That's how they met. And just seeing them kind of go through it every day and them teaching me, again, as cliche as it is, like it sounds like I'm like a boxer movie backstory here. But uh, <laughs> like as cliche as it is, them teaching me the value of, working for something and it's not just you're not just working because that's what you're supposed to do you're working for yourself because when you do summit the mountain finally that's one of the best feelings in the world right is i did this um and it's meaningful it's something that lasts uh, in your own memory and you know when i again just tie back into the rose bowl thing um i want to be a part of the memories of people who watch college football because, you know, the Brad Nestlers, the, uh, the uh, Muschamp, or Musburger, I should say, um, the Muspergers, the Fowlers of the world. Those are the voices that kind of resonate in me when I think about my childhood, right? We talk, we're going to talk about music later and that I think operates in that same way for a lot of people. For me, it's, you know, famous Rose Bowl calls and uh, 
famous college football moments and the voices that are associated with that. I want that kind of to be my lasting legacy. So that is kind of why I work so hard is because I see that bigger picture and that goal. And I think it means something. Well, it's funny you brought you brought up music a little bit there. And like that for me, it has always been what kept me motivated. I mean, I think you know this about me. I mean, music, I always say is my religion. I think it's as big of an impact on my personal, like on my on my values, on my the ethical code that I have, on the work ethic that I've that I've put together. I think music is is very central to that. Um, and I I know I talked to you a little bit ago about what kind of what kind of music you were into because it's a conversation I haven't had with you before. I know that uh, we've talked sports before in the past and we've played each other at the SDFC in basketball and may, may, maybe got a little chippy. I don't remember, but uh, I know that I've seen the competitive side, but I have not seen the music side of you. I know you are a Tennessee guy. Uh, tell me, how did Tennessee uh, coming from there? How did that impact your musical taste? So, like coming up, I was always high counterculture guy right i was like everybody I, I lived in knoxville which is where the university of tennessee is right everybody's tennessee fans naturally it, it, like you said it's a religion down there um for a lot of people i grew up a vanderbilt fan because i didn't want to be a tennessee fan um right like it was like that with my music too when all my friends were listening to country music i was heavy hip-hop nwa um old stuff grandmaster flash like old old stuff like origin hip-hop music and just worked my way up um I just always thought that that subculture was really cool and it was a way for me to be unique. Um, and that kind of tinted my early music listening experience. And then I started to listen to the stuff that that hip hop music came from, because I mean, the, the lineage of hip hop is that it is music that is completely rebranded and remashed from other old music, whether it's old soul records and funk records, when hip hop was born, it was just, it, especially it was black people reclaiming their own sound and making something happen in, in, in New York, in the Bronx, in Brooklyn. Um, and I started to, you know, pay attention to where that music came from. And then I started to appreciate a lot more soul um, and funk music, the Funkadelics, uh, a couple others like that. Um, Marvin Gaye, of course, the big ones. And um, then as I started to get, when I moved out here, something kind of changed, right? Because going back to that whole counterculture thing, everybody listens to hip hop music and that's not to denigrate, you know, my profound respect for hip hop, right? But uh, I wanted a piece at home. So I started listening to a little bit more country music, you know, a little Chris Stapleton here and there. Um, but the big thing that I came back to was my dad, always on our Saturday drives to go get Krispy Kreme or whatever. Cause I mean, he's working during the week. That's only the, the time that I got to see him was like Saturday and Sunday mornings. Um, like crystals, which is a Southern thing, like little hamburgers. We go get crystals. Um, and he would always have BB King on in the car on Saturday mornings. And like that became a refuge for me. I started listening to blues music around freshman year. And uh, I'd say that's a big piece of, uh, my discography, if you will, if you look at my iTunes, it's kind of where you'll see, you'll see a lot of blues music, a lot of hip hop. It's interesting. You don't see a lot of that today, really at all. I don't think you find very many yeah. you know, tw 20 year olds that are listening to the blues. You know, that's yeah. not, not something you encounter. Yeah, no, for sure. I definitely, I'm not lived long enough to like be that sad. Right. And I'm not, like, <laughs> I don't know. It just strikes a chord and like ignites something kind of in my soul reminds me of home a lot you know um and 
it creates a feeling. And I think that's ultimately what the goal of music is. Yeah. At a base. And, and that's, I think, what blues does for me. And that's something that I always am like shouting from rooftops. It feels like as someone that loves music, like I, I just think music is so subjective. I think it's, it's something that is completely about the, the feeling it, it brings out of your chest when you're, when you're listening to a song, it doesn't matter if the, if the lyrics are silly or not relatable, or if the, the beat is not whatever, how the compression on it is not what the audiophile wants to hear. But I, I just think if it brings the right feeling out of you, then, then it's something special. And, and that's what it sounds like uh, it does for you, at least in terms of blues music. Yeah, for sure, man. I mean, and it's like, because it is so random and how it's like orchestrated, right? Like it's just guys playing and shouting and screaming and singing. And um, that resonates with me because it feels like really authentic and genuine. You can't really fake that, you know? And I'm, and I'm sure that's probably reflective of of your your upbringing, it sounds like. Uh, I mean, I think based off what I know of you and based off what I've heard from from you today, it sounds like being genuine and authentic is kind of at the at the heart of what you hope to be in the world of journalism and, and sports broadcasting as well. Yeah, for sure, man. I, like it's it's an everyday battle. It's sometimes, you know, by being that way, you open yourself up to maybe getting hurt a little bit more. But I just think it's really the only way to live your life truly is to just try and be as authentic and truthful and genuine as you can um, treat people the right way. Try not to harm anybody if you don't have to, but uh, to just be honest with yourself, I think is something that I, I more than pride myself on. That's an underwording. Um, it's something that I think is intrinsic to myself. I hope it is at least. Um, and yeah, I think that reflects kind of in how I go about things and the music I listen to. Well, you, in terms of music, you, you mentioned earlier that you kind of grew up on the, the roots of rap music, which is on a different genre playing field than where rap music is today. And that seems like that's something that's get, that gets a lot of discussion. If you scroll through music related discussions on, on social media, it's new, new age rap versus old rap. And, and it seems like there's kind of that divide there. You've got like the, the new trap music that's really on, on, on the radio more often nowadays. And then you've got the music that kind of uh, came to light back in, like you said, the nineties talking NWA Grandmaster Flash people you mentioned earlier. Uh, that kind of divide there, is that something that you feel like is, is pushing music in the right direction or, or how, how do you, how do you feel about that as someone that kind of grew up on the roots of rap? Yeah. I mean, like I said, you're just looking to find something in music that's going to put you in a certain kind of mood. Right. Right. And like, it's interesting because like people like Playboy Cardi and I know Playboy has got his whole sect of people who appreciate his music and I can to a degree, but like also this isn't to denigrate him. It's like, when I listen to music, I hope it says something, right? And like, when I can't decipher what you're saying without looking at the lyrics, I think it becomes more about production and what the literal um, sonics of the music are, right? And like, I think that's what's happening in music now is that certain bits of hip hop and segments of hip hop are becoming more so about production and lyricism. Um, and I almost feel like it's going to create like a whole new genre of music because for every rapper that's like that, there, there's a rapper that's like an up and coming uh, rapper like Reason. I guess Reason's kind of arrived already, mm -hmm. but there are still people that are looking to say stuff. It's just knowing where to look for it. So I think it's just a, 
a separation that we're seeing now of like hip hop becoming something else, right? I, I think it's funny that the, what are the odds of that? This is actually the second time reason has come up on this show. I, yeah. I, I, I would not have expected that. We had a guest on here. I'm not sure if you're familiar with Wesley Johnson. Uh, he's, he's a, a sports sports journalism guy and he's, no, what, what, what do you say? To the basketball player, but I, I was, it was a bad joke. Continue. No, I get you. I get you. I get you. He, he came on here and, and he talked about he's he's a recruiting assistant for Sun Devil Athletics. And and, and he mentioned that I, I think one of the assistant coaches um, at ASU or one of the recruiting guys, his twin brother is reason. And so that that came up on the show before. And, and he was trying to he was he was introducing me to, to reasons music a little bit because I was someone I knew of just because he's signed with TDE where, you know, a lot of people have really found success. Uh, and so I was, I was intrigued for sure, but that's funny. That's the second time that he's come up on this show. It's kind of a, a more of an obscure, I guess, name in terms of modern rap. Yeah. I mean, like him, people like him, big crit. I like a lot. Yeah. Um, yeah. A lot of big crit. Again, another guy who kind of reminds me of home a little bit because very Southern, um, which you don't necessarily find a lot of in hip hop. Um, like him a lot. Action Bronson. I like just because ah, okay. he's incredible. Like, I, have you seen his cooking show? <laughs> that's that is my assigned homework from after this um i can't say the name because it's got an expletive in it but it's on vice and it is incredible like another guy who's just so authentically himself at all times it's amazing um yeah i'm kind of all over the board again it's just like as long as you have a message um production's good music's good and the instrumentation's like a little bit more complex than just like here's an 808 um I usually can like appreciate that. Yeah, for sure. And then you mentioned like the South. I mean, I'm thinking like guys like Killer Mike are kind of keeping that, keeping that alive as well. Uh, with with Run the Jewels, I think he's he's kind of kept that that same spirit alive in terms of hip hop because they've even got some mainstream appeal still. Uh, so so he's he's for sure keeping that alive a little bit. There's definitely artists that that are bringing out those, those same feelings that, like you said, the guys you mentioned earlier used to have. And uh, I, I, I like what you said about, it's kind of creating its own genre because that, that's honestly how I view it nowadays. Like I view trap music on a different playing field than I view like the roots of hip hop. Like I, I don't even think they're the same genre. Like sure, yeah, they're, they obviously came from the same source but I, I don't even think they're on the same playing field anymore. Yeah, no, I totally agree with you. Um, it's like, I mean, you know, they're all these just these little subsets uh, of hip hop. It's like I'm not gonna go and try and listen to a Rhapsody album and expect the same things that I listen to in like a, a Future album, right? There's, it's just different, mm-hmm. and I think that's fine. I think this is the natural maturation of hip hop, which has become the mainstream. It, it's the pop, really. I think now it's the most popular genre, and of course, it was gonna get so big that it was gonna split. Right. And this is just what we're seeing now is just the natural progression, I think, of music. And you look at that, it happened with, you know, jazz and blues into rock music and so on and so forth. Yeah. I mean, that's just that. I feel like it's just the progression of time. It's bound to happen eventually. And I'm sure, you know, eventually other genres are going to split too. We're going to see alt rock split. If not, we already have. I mean, there's already so many subsets of every, every genre, it feels like nowadays. Uh, but it, it's cool to hear that, you know, obviously where, where you're from, I think impacts a lot. And, and you, it sounds like have a lot of pride in that, uh, you know, being from, from Knoxville, Tennessee, it sounds like you've got a, a little bit of a, I just said you were, you were a counterculture guy, but I know from what I've seen, you've got, you've got pride in being from Tennessee. 
Oh, for sure. I mean, I'm looking at me right now. I'm wearing a, a Benton's Bacon shirt from Hookerville, Tennessee. Um, best bacon in the world, by the way. Um, and a, a Simmons Catfish Farm hat out here in Arizona right now on the Zoom call. No, it's like I was so – Knoxville is the least diverse, at least it was when I left, media market in like the top 200. It's like 80% white, right? And for me – I was just dying to get out of there and to, hey, chase my dreams in a place that could actually foster that ambition, right? Because, I mean, for all of its charms, like, Cronkite's going to afford me opportunity. Like, I, I joke all the time. The building of Cronkite itself is kind of like my Disney world because that that's all I really want is to be surrounded by like-minded people in a place that's going to be able to help me achieve all my dreams, right? And that's what Cronkite is, and I didn't have that as much in Knoxville, like naturally because of what I did, that kind of made me a little bit of an outcast. Yeah. Um, but I was so ready to get out of Tennessee, come here. And you don't realize how much of that is like in you, right? Because I grew up there. I was born in Texas. I moved when I was three. And then the next 15 years of my life were in Knoxville. And, um, to leave that behind, I didn't realize how much that was going to impact me and how much um, it was going to mean to me and how proud I was going to be of being from Tennessee because that's who I am at my base level. I can't run from that. Like, that is my childhood. That's my past. It's, I'm a Tennessean through and through. And I, it's funny. I, I kind of almost re- relate to that point that you brought up about Cronkite in terms of, like, I, I, I grew up in a, in a small town. I know we've talked about this before where they're just – there wasn't a whole lot of opportunity for someone who wanted to be a sports broadcasting guy. Like I, I had what, like the morning announcements on my high school show and, and, a, and a beat reporting job at a newspaper. And, and it, it didn't seem like, like you said, the, the facilities weren't there to, to foster the goals that I had for myself. And so it's funny, you, you sit there and you're so excited to leave this place. And then I, it does feel like a little bit of almost culture shock. I think when you, when you go somewhere that's so completely different, um, that I, I think it's interesting that you said you turned to like the blues, like that's, you want that taste of home a little bit. And, yeah. and that's like, for me, I, I'm looking, you can see this blank wall behind me right now. I've been looking for a Las Vegas skyline to throw up there. Like Vegas, Vegas is my home. Even though I grew up small town, a little bit outside of Vegas, when I see those Vegas skyline lights, it, it, it conjures these feelings of nostalgia in me that I think are something that are hard to replace. And I, and I think that's, like you said, it's, it's part of my past now. It's, it's, it's part of me. And, and it's, and it's, I'm kind of interesting to see, you know, it reflects on other people too. Yeah, no, for sure, man. I think when we come to college, we all kind of set out to define ourselves. Right. And in your hometown, it doesn't make you unique that you're from your hometown. Like me being from not everybody's from Knoxville. Right. But mm-hmm. when you do a place like this, especially a place like this, that's, as far away from, and I think it resonates with you a little bit. Um, there are still people from Vegas. I've met like there, oddly enough, there is somebody in Cronkite in our graduating class. I went to high school, like 30 minutes from me. I hardly see him (laughs) in Cronkite, but like there aren't people that I can like relate to. Right. I don't see nobody's, there's nobody I can have a conversation with about, um, being from where I'm from. Really, I mean, there's there's actually a couple of freshmen, a uh, guy from my high school, because partially because I came here, um, does the same thing that I do. Uh, he's here now, so there's a little bit more of that, but there just isn't a lot of Southern representation here. So I think to get back to the original point, 
when you get here, you kind of cling to it because it's the part of your identity that you know, right? And it is something that now all of a sudden sets you apart and makes you a little bit more unique and uh, identifiable. Um, and yeah, it's not something that I saw myself when I came here thinking was going to be important, but I do think it's crucially important now. Well, it's it's funny you brought up it. You'd be surprised how many Vegas people are actually I've ran into here. It's not it's very it's a very small number. I, I would say I, I can name off the top of my head really only three people that I've met at Arizona State so far that are from Vegas, one of which is our friend on the board, uh, Nick Sanchez. And I know you, you two are, are new to the board this semester. Uh, you're stepping into that production director role. I know you're a, you're a sports guy, but you've also got, you're, you're putting out graphics for the sports Twitter on Blaze, and uh, you've got plenty of experience with the production side of things. Uh, tell me, what, what, what about that side of journalism excites you? Yeah, again, like, let's just run back through my origin story. Like, in high school, um, and I think maybe we should go back further than that, like, my grandfather um, worked in, like, textiles. He was a designer, right? Um, and that creative gene is something that's in that side of my family and was passed down. And like, I always like to draw and doodle. Um, I really got into art and photography, um, in high school was like an AP studio art nerd, um, my senior year. And when I came here, it was all work all the time, which is how I'm wired, right? Like I, people are like, you should go out and have fun more. And it's like, this is fun for me. Uh, like, I don't feel the need to like, you know, go out as much because, this is what I do, right? But the downside of that was that with all the work and all the effort I was putting in um, to moving up in Cronkite, um, getting the breaks and play-by-play, I kind of pushed aside that creative part of me. And I rediscovered that a little bit last year with the graphics and, and working in Photoshop and being able to create and bring a vision in my head to life, make cool things that are going to make people uh, stop for a second and like consider what they're looking at, right? That um, became something that was kind of an outlet and an escape and still kind of is for me um, that I can like sit down at a computer and just make something. It's cool. Um, the process of creation is really cool to me. Um, and that's parlayed itself into, hey, I can actually use the skill set to like make some really big advances professionally because I really do think that just at the end of the day, making cool stuff is a commodity that uh, the networks like ESPN and the big networks are realizing how important that is uh, in the social media era. Um, being able to be unique and original um, is important. And I think it's a skill set that is going to be cutting edge for us. I think it's going to start to become a prerequisite um, for us. And I think hopefully it's going to be something that really helps me advance towards my goal professionally. Well, I think it's interesting. It's kind of a unique little juxtaposition of abilities that you mentioned there. Cause you said you were an AP studio art kid in high school. And then earlier today you were saying you kind of had that blue collar gene in you from your family as well. Uh, how, how do you feel like those two kind of abilities or, or skills or personality traits work together uh, to, to, to create what you, what you end up putting out there? Yeah. I think a lot of times if we're going to get like macro here, when people look at goals, again, it, again I, I, I speak in cliches, so I beg your pardon here. But that's the that's the that's the what's the score special, man? We we speak in cliches and philosophy and like surface level deep talk. That's 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 the, that's what we do here. 
Well, I mean, cliches are cliche for a reason, though. Um, like, sure. When people look at a mountain, they don't want to think about all the work that's going to go into it. They don't think about climbing the mountain. When in, in reality, for me, that creative process, it's about the work, right? I've got a vision in my head. I may not know how to get from point A to point B immediately, but I'm going to sit down and work at it until I figure it out. I just don't think a ton of people are wired in the way that um, they aren't necessarily as daunted by that. Like I've got a goal and I want to accomplish it and I'm going to go do it, whether it's on a blank page on Photoshop, a blank piece of paper um, or a couple sticky notes, right? Like we're going to figure out how we need to get there, the steps that we need to take and we're going to go do it instead of being afraid of it and not getting it done, right? There's just too little life to live in order to, uh, to live that way. I think you cut yourself off from a lot of possibilities, right? Yeah, well, yeah, for sure. Well, like I'm only 21 years old. I don't have it all figured out by any means, but I do know that this is how I want to live my life, right? I want to live at 100% all the time um, because as soon as you start to stop working at the things you care about, I think that's when you kind of start to, you know, die. Well, I think something that I've really learned, I guess, in the last few months, I've, I've been reading this book. I'll, I'll show you the book on screen. I can't say the, I can't say the title because we're on Blaze Radio, um, but I've been reading this book lately. It is uh, a book, The Subtle Art of Something uh, That I Cannot Say on the FCC regulated blazeradioonline.com. But there's a lesson in there about like you want to pursue something that has the problems that you're willing to face. No matter what you do, you're going to encounter problems, no matter what it is career-wise, relationship-wise. I think the thing is, what problems are you willing to stomach on a daily basis? And uh, I think it's kind of cool to see, clearly you've settled on that these don't feel like problems anymore. The, the, the stressful things that come up for you in terms of uh, whether it's production or whether it's sports broadcasting, they no longer feel like feel like problems because it just feels like fun. And I think that's that's kind of the nirvana that everyone wants to hit at some point. Right. Well, and like even more so, you can't cheat it, right? Like you got something in front of you, you can't go over it, you can't go around it, you can't go under it, you got to go through it. Um, and ultimately, you just got to trust that you're going to be better for it. Um, and maybe if you don't want to like to do it today, you just got to keep looking up and keep looking towards the light at the end of the tunnel and say that, hey, if I keep after this, you just got to trust that it's going to get you where you want it to go, um, where you want to go. And for the most part, I've been fortunate enough to experience a lot of things um, to this point professionally and personally that I would have never dreamt of just because I stayed after it. And I think like you're wired like that. I think a lot of people who are successful are wired like that, you know? Well, I, I appreciate you insinuating that I'm successful. That's very exciting. Um, I'll, I'll steer us away from the, the philosophical conversation here for a second. I, I know something else at the center of what you do and me. We've kind of danced around it all day here at sports. Uh, I, I think it's what brought both of us here to the Cronkite School. Uh, I'm a sports journalist and major. I wanted to be a sports broadcaster for most of my life. I know that's something that you brought up today as something that you want to do. Uh, tell me, wh where was your introduction to sports? What's your earliest sports memory? Again, family thing. I mean, just going to football games with my dad when I was younger, you know, he carried me in. I have these early memories of riding into Neyland Stadium on his shoulders, see an orange, it's an SEC Saturday. Um, again, later I diverged and decided I was a Vanderbilt fan because down with the institutions. But <laughs> no, like just those, that resonating point of it being like me and him and this is our thing, right? Um, I know he almost, uh, 
missed my birth because Tennessee was playing Florida that weekend. Luckily, I was like, a, a, I almost, that's another story. I did not want to be born, but. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah, I, I, I get that too, man. They had to take me out of the vacuum. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, no, but like having that, that early touchstone with him, you know, I am the oldest of three. Um, I'm the only son too. So having that with him made it important. And then when I started to realize how important the stories that you could tell, um, especially with college football, how it resonated with Southern people. And I mean, you know, the South is a place that, right. I mean, rightfully so considering the marred history of that part of our country, um, it's beaten down in a lot of ways nationally and is disrespected in a lot of ways nationally. And by no means, again, is it perfect. Uh, and the, the area and the region has a lot of work to do. There's a lot of beauty there. There's a lot of ugly. Um, college football is a thing that matters because we're good at it and people respect us for it. There aren't a lot of situations where the South garners national respect. And that is why, I mean, the, the conference's logo for the SEC or the motto is it just means more right um because it literally it does just mean more and when i started to get my head around that when i was younger and how much that meant for my people that kind of clicked something in me that it was like okay this is bigger than just going to football games with your dad you know and that's kind of fueled my life's mission well in terms of football you said you're you're a vanderbilt fan and as you said in the sec it just means more and, and i'm sure uh in terms of sec football as a vanderbilt fan i'm not sure how much it has meant the last few years so i my my question for you is where does where does vandy go from from here on out in terms of the football program because it's been messy well you know Garrett mason see i i I'm a bandwagoner, to be fair. I mean, I only got involved when James Franklin came to Vanderbilt, and they were, like, good for the first time ever. Um, they went uh, – the first year I remember cheering for them, they went 6-7, and seven, which at Vanderbilt is, like, a massive victory. Um, and then they went 9-4, and 9-4, and four, and those were, like, the two best years in Vandy football history. Um, Franklin leaves for the Penn State job. Uh, it's like, what do we do now? They hired Derek Mason, who's an awesome guy and just, like, an incredible motivator, maybe in a little bit over his head. Um, but they were pretty good. It was time for them to part ways. The uh, Sarah Fuller thing was magical and really awesome. And I'm glad that that was facilitated because I mean, honestly, Vandy's kickers that year for all the people who were like, this is a publicity stunt. No, it wasn't. Vandy's kickers were like, I want to say like two of six on field goal attempts from inside 10 yards. That year. <laughs> Anybody who could kick a ball. Um, and Sarah Fuller could do that and she did it effectively for the school. But, uh, aside from that, like, I think you asked, where do they go now? Getting a guy, I don't know how much you know about the situation, but getting a guy like Clark Lee, who is the Notre Dame defensive coordinator, but also played fullback at Vanderbilt. And it's like a Vanderbilt guy. Some of the stuff that they've done, um, I mean, they hired the director of recruiting at two, four, seven to like be the general manager of the college football program. Who does that? Um, and he's going to like handle their recruiting. They're thinking outside the box, which is what you have to do at Vanderbilt to be successful because there just aren't the resources. So I'm really excited about it, honestly, like more so than I have been in a couple of years. I think that the trajectory is actually pretty good. I, they're on track in some new uncharted territory. They're doing some unique things. We'll see how it works, but I'm pretty optimistic. Well, it sounds to me like with, with coach Lee coming into town, it's like, that's kind of the dream hire for a college football program is someone that has, 
somehow both achieved success in their career as a coach so far in other places and also has that lineage to be, you know, passionate about the program for which they coach. I think that's kind of something we saw at Iowa State this year. Uh, they had Matt Campbell, who's got he's got pride in being uh, someone that, you know, he's representing the Cyclones. And yet he's also he had the success to, to get to that point in the first place. And so I think uh, that is kind of the dream hire for a college football program. I, I know I think college football fans across the board would love to see Vanderbilt succeed because, I mean, it's it's like everyone's rooting for the Browns against the Chiefs in that uh, in that game a few weeks ago, like or not a few days ago, I guess now. Um, and it's because they, they've they've seen this program go through a lot. And also I think the parody of it is, would be exciting. Just the, the SEC, it's been top heavy for a little while. And so I think people would love to see Vanderbilt succeed. I know I certainly would, uh, but it, it's, it sounds like at least from what you've told me now, they're trending in the right direction, I hope. I mean, it looks good now. We'll see what happens. <laughs> uh, but no, everybody loves the little engine that could, especially a place like the SEC and I mean, Vanderbilt's been pretty harmless for a long time. I think it'd be pretty cool to see him be good again. So, And, I mean, Sarah Fuller gave you guys a little bit of as, – as you said, that was a, a very special moment. You had all eyes on a Vanderbilt-Missouri game. I mean, that's that's an exciting thing, and, and she warranted a lot of the um, praise and respect that she got from fans on social media and that kind of thing. So uh, I know that's something that's got to be exciting to see, at least come from your football program. I think we kind of saw that here at ASU with uh with Jackson Hay who who scored that the the first touchdown for a or I guess I think he I think he might have taken the first snap for for a Chinese born football player. So for for him to do that here in Arizona and for that to happen for you back at Vanderbilt, pretty special season I would say. Yeah, for sure. I mean they competed, you know, they got after it. It makes you appreciate winning because it's not so easy. Um it makes it feel almost that little bit much better when you weren't expecting to win ever. And then you occasionally do. And it's like, yeah, got that one. Um, <laughs> they're a fuller thing. It, it just filled me with a lot of pride that in a season that was kind of a lost season in a lot of ways, in a lot of ways, more so than just football, um, that Vanderbilt left a lasting impact on college football and on the world of sport. And it filled me with like profound pride that I grew up rooting for that school that did that. It was really, 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 really cool. Like I cannot overstate that. Yeah, I can imagine. I think that was, that was something that a lot of people were really excited to watch happen. And and as I said earlier, just to have your, your allegiance speed to that school, that's actually doing that. I think that's, uh, that's, that's something that not very many people get to say they experienced because it's something that really hasn't happened before. Um, jumping more from, from college to the NFL level. I know you said you got family from Kansas city. You're a Tennessee guy. So I guess the Titans are are in the vicinity. Where's your allegiance in terms of NFL football? Your chiefs fan, your chiefs guy. Okay. It's a good, it's a good time to be a chiefs fan. Let's talk. Let's talk AFC championship. You got, you, you got Buffalo coming to town. Where's your head right now? Yeah. I mean, anything is possible, baby. Um, (laughs) Let me explain. Mom is from Kansas City, was born into it. It really wasn't a choice. I suffered through Brody Croyle. I suffered through Matt Castle. I didn't just get in when Pat Mahomes was there. So just to get that removed. Um, yeah, uh, this matchup is going to be hopefully fun. It sounds like Pat is good to go, as weird as watching him double over like that. Like, it's weird because you think of these two – really horrific moments, uh, like hold your breath moments as a Chiefs fan over the last two years, the, the knee injury in Denver last year that turned out to not be 
much of anything because he's like superhuman and quadruple jointed. Um, and then this, where it's like, oh my God, that looks like the worst concussion I've seen in an NFL game ever. And it just turns out like, hey, he got choked out and actually is fine. Um, I mean, we'll see if that's actually true. I, watching the play, it, at no point did his head get hit where did his head hit the ground. So I thought it was weird anyway. Yeah. Uh, but any game where you've got Pat Mahomes, you feel like the favorite. And that's weird as a Chiefs fan because, like, you were always expecting to lose in some incredible and chaotic and unconventional way. Um, I remember the game against Pittsburgh in the playoffs. I don't know if you remember this a couple years ago where the Chiefs scored two touchdowns. The Steelers scored none. The Steelers still won. Mm. Uh, 18-14 game? It was not good. Not a good time in the Gallagher household that night. Um, well, I, I remember Marcus Mariota catching his own pass too, which I'm sure hurt even worse for you being a Tennessee guy. I'm sure you heard it loud and clear. It was bad. It was not good coming back to school on Monday. It was not a good time. Um, but then Mahomes saved us. And like, you know, I just, for me, it's almost, I obviously the Chiefs, I root for preeminently. Right. And it was like really amazing to uh, still win a game the old fashioned way against all odds with Henny. Because, I mean, with Pat, like I said, you expect to win, which kind of cheapens winning just a little bit, right? Um, so when he still did that, that was really fun. But for me, almost, it's become about, okay, how, how high can our guy go, right? We want Pat to be the greatest of all time. So every win that Pat gets, you're almost thinking about, okay, what's this mean for his legacy long term? Am I going to be able to say in 10 years, is he better than Brady? Um, is he better than Michael Jordan? Um, so it's almost like, yeah, the bills are in front of you. Yes. And that's what you're looking at. And we can talk about the matchup because I would love to do that with you. But like, again, on a macro scale, it's like, okay, so can you're doing the math in your head, like uh hangover in the club uh, style, the scene with uh, Zach Galifianakis or whatever. Oh yeah. You got the math, the math in front of him. Yep. Like, okay. So what's this mean for Pat's legacy? Um, so yeah, more than anything, it's just like, okay beat the Bills, win the Super Bowl, let's do it again next year and the next year, and then we can just say it's the greatest of all time and write it off. Like, you're almost thinking that far in advance. Well, it's absolutely insane to think that, I mean, this kid's, what, three or four years into his career now, and this is year four, I guess year three as a starter, year four in total, but he's already getting thrust into that potential future GOAT status. I mean, that's something – unheard of it feels like I, I can't think of many other players that three years into their career we've said this guy might be the best of all time pretty soon besides literally LeBron in basketball I think that's, that's something totally unique to the sport uh, especially a football um, because football is a, a game that is decided less individually than most and so uh, I think that's crazy and that's that's got to be a cool thing for you to experience I can respect it because I'm a Vikings fan I've been through a lot of pain I know if I had a, a Pat Mahomes to call my own, I'd be, you know, posting him everywhere. I'd have all the jerseys. I'd be a huge fan of, uh, as well. So I, I don't, I don't blame you on that front. Yeah, no, I mean, like every Sunday, I find myself, thank God he's ours. Thank God he's ours. Yeah. Um, it's just, yeah, like having that kind of dude is amazing. And it, it's weird, Gannon, I got to tell you, because the Vikings are kind of like the Chiefs NFC. Right? Agreed. Agreed, for sure you follow the history of their franchise. And of course, I mean, the chiefs only Super Bowl win was against the Vikings um, up until last year. Uh, and like, other than that, like the Vikings have always been really good, but not been able to get there. And they break your heart constantly. Uh -huh. uh, and like, you almost feel like you would rather be horrible 
than like be good enough to get your hopes up and not get there. Right. Uh, tell me about that. Tell me about, before we talk about the Chiefs and the Bills, tell me about where you see the Vikings right now. I, I have a tweet that aged terribly um, from roughly September. I, I tweeted my worst fear for the Vikings is that they go anywhere between six and 10 and eight and eight this season. And sure enough, we hit eight and eight and it, uh, I don't know. I mean, if we're talking, let's, let's look at patterns here. If we want to get uh, Mike Zimmer's career so far, he comes in, he's seven and nine in his first year, goes 11 and five here too, makes the playoffs. We lose. Thank you, Blair Walsh for that one. Uh, and then he comes back around the, the team, uh, has another down year and then whips it back around and we go back to the playoffs and we Minneapolis miracle, the saints. And then we of course get our heart broken to the Eagles. And then the next year we're another down year, eight and seven and one Kirk Cousins, first year growing pains, come back around upset, went over the saints. And so he's had a very, very patterned career as a coach so far. Mike Zimmer has, I'm not sure you can really read into that kind of thing. Um, I, I'm not in too much fear for the Vikings future. I think there's a lot of young pieces to build around. You've got Dalvin Cook, who's a top four running back in football, top three possibly. Derrick Henry really is is probably the only one I'd personally put over him, but I can see the argument for Kamara or perhaps uh, a healthy McCaffrey. And uh, outside of those guys, though, I mean, he's, he's an elite running back and you've got uh, on the outsides, Jefferson is going to be a top 10 receiver in football for the next five to six years. And Adam Thielen is still certainly in that top echelon as well. Maybe not as high of a ceiling as Jefferson, but he's definitely going to be up there. And then defensively, once this team gets healthy, I'm not super concerned because they were missing Daniel Hunter this last year for the yeah. entire season. They were missing Anthony Barr for the entire season. Uh, they started three different rookies at corner. They, uh, we had Eric Kendricks missed four to five games. Uh, the interior of the defensive line, Michael Pierce, the one big free agency signing opted out because of COVID-19. The, this team was missing a lot of pieces. And I think once those pieces come back into the fold, plus this is a team that has historically drafted pretty well in late rounds and has, I think somewhere in the vicinity of nine to 10 day, two and three picks this upcoming draft. Uh, I'm not in total fear for the future of the Vikings. My, Issue lies with Kirk Cousins, as most Vikings fans. I think he's a good quarterback. I'm not sure how high his ceiling is. That's 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 my. It comes down to him. It really does. He feels like y'all's Alex Smith. Like I mean, yeah. you've got a really good team. You've got a quarterback that's good, but kind of limiting you from greatness. And we'll see how they answer that question. It's the hard part. I mean, I don't know, man. I think about the Vikings and like one story here actually. I'm a big draft guy, and this was one of the dumbest thoughts that's ever crossed my mind. So the Mahomes draft year, when we traded up, and you only make that trade up if you're taking a quarterback. That's the only logical thing. I was so in love with Dalvin Cook in that draft process, and he ends up going second round because of some off-field stuff and some injury concern with his hamstring and his ACL. But I'm like, okay, let's go. We're taking Dalvin Cook. Let's go. We're trading up the town. We're going to take Dalvin Cook, and they take Mahomes, and it all, you know kind of comes to fruition but it makes me really happy that Dalvin is like that good just as good as I thought he was going to be um and like when you've got players like that when you've got a guy like Jefferson you've got enough of a base there that if you get a difference maker quarterback that isn't a guy like Kirk Cousins that is in that middle tier somebody who's like genuinely a top 10 guy you're Super Bowl ready right then it's just like getting that guy is going to be tough and I don't you said the other night you want to trade Lance Maybe that's him. I don't know what they're going to do, but it's got to be something. I am, I am sincerely hoping that 
a, a series of things happens on draft day. Cause I'm a huge draft guy as well. Dra- uh, NFL draft is my favorite sports day of the year. Um, consistently. I like it more than the Super Bowl. I, I like it more than week one of NFL season. I, I, the NFL draft is where I get excited. And I am sincerely hoping that 13 teams deeply mess up and do not take Trey Lance ahead of the Vikings. And even I wouldn't even complain if the Vikings traded some future assets to move up and get a guy like Trey Lance, because specifically Lance, I, I think he has the tools to be a top five quarterback in football. I think he's the has the highest ceiling of anyone in this class and I think with a year to kind of grow and mature uh, within an NFL franchise, perhaps behind Kirk Cousins or at least waiting in the wings until Kirk Cousins inevitably uh, loses a Monday night football game. I think that's something I really want for the future of the Vikings. As you said, they're missing that difference maker quarterback. And Trey Lance to me is that guy. I think he has genuine top five quarterback potential. He's got an incredible arm strength uh, and he's, mobile which is the future of football you, you need to have a mobile quarterback to succeed in football nowadays and Kirk Cousins is simply not that his pocket presence is abysmal and uh if he's not on the play action it's it's pretty hopeless I think and so I think I I'm I'm sincerely hoping for a quarterback I don't think they do it that, that's the only thing is I just I, I think the Vikings front office is committed to Kirk Cousins they, they're not ready to admit their mistake just yet that that's that's where I think we are however I, I do think that even if we don't draft a quarterback, if I'm predicting what happens this upcoming year, they draft a few defensive guys, stack the offensive line a little bit more with draft prospects as well. And I expect the Vikings to be in the playoffs next year, probably a first or second round exit. That, that's kind of where my expectations are if they don't take a quarterback. Yeah. I, I think the thing with Lance is that you look at him and it's the, the reason he could slide to 13. And the only reason in my mind is that sample size. Yeah, it's like he had a really good redshirt freshman year at North Dakota State, and then he didn't play. And, I mean, we saw Zach Wilson play, and I don't get – this made old takes exposed at this – I don't get the Zach Wilson hype at all. No, me neither. He's reckless. He, and he balled against horrible teams, like the worst strength of schedule of any team that was relevant this year in the country by far. Um, when I look at a guy like uh, a Mac Jones, or I know some draft people are anti-Kyle Trask people, and I've not really dove into the tape. Um, like I get it even more so. Like I'd rather have a guy who's like system-oriented like that, but has done it against elite competition than a guy like Zach Wilson, who again is small sample size. We only got a year of it. With Lance, the thing is that Lance did stuff that was ridiculous. Like he didn't throw an interception. Who does that? Um, He's got a lot of the good elements of Alex Smith in terms of his ball security, his mobility. Um, he's got that deep ball but like Russell Wilson, but he's bigger than Russ physically and can run between the tackles, kind of like a Dak Prescott. I think he combines a lot of the stuff you're looking for, and I almost would say he'd be the second quarterback that I'd look at behind Lawrence, even over Fields. Yeah, I, I think I definitely like him more than Fields for, for the reasons you said in terms of the ball security and, and his physical frame. is just It just looks more secure. Justin Fields looks a little bit scared when he's in the pocket, and, and it concerns me. Um, I think Justin Fields is going to be a serviceable quarterback. I'm not sure he's a number two overall quarterback. I, I, I don't, I, Justin Fields is a guy I don't even buy in a super, uh, I'm not buying a lot of stock on, on Justin Fields. I think Trey Lance is, is that guy for me. I think Lawrence is going to be what people expect him to be. He'll, he'll come in and be exactly as good as everyone thinks he will be, but I think Lance might be better. And that's, and that's honestly how I've, how I've viewed this draft class. And, and as you said, I mean, you, 
I haven't gone in and looked at the tape of every single play of every game, but in terms of what I know about these quarterbacks, Lance is a guy that I genuinely believe no matter where he ends up is going to be uh, an absolute perennial star, I think for the next 10 to 15 years. Yeah. And he's got that temperament too. True. Yeah. No, he's, he's, he's very poised. I think, I think that's the biggest thing is he's got a maturity about him. That is, that is, rare to find from any college quarterback, let alone someone who played in the FCS and didn't throw an interception. He doesn't play with a, I'm better than you. He plays with a, I'm just going to go win this game attitude. And I think I, I really like that poise out of him does remind me of, like you said, Russell Wilson and Dak Prescott kind of have that same exact temperament to them where they're guys that are humble yet confident. And, and I think that's a, that's a certain swagger that a quarterback has to have. And I have yet to see from Kirk cousins, but you've definitely got it going for you in Kansas city. I mean, yeah, what we're talking about this, I'm like, thank God I don't have to worry about this anymore. Um, <laughs> I'm just looking at the draft order now. So Jacksonville is going to take Lawrence. They've admitted as much. Um, the Jets, I mean, I have, uh, I think, a take that's become popularized, but I think it's the right take that they should just not take a quarterback. Like, you have not had anything around Darnold for however long. You've got a rare opportunity to take a guy in Penisul, put him next to Mackay Becton and have your tackle duo set for a decade. So do that, and if Darnold is just batting in next year with more around him, well, okay, the team was probably bad, and then you just take the quarterback next year and put him in a much better situation. That's kind of what I thought. I mean, it was crazy at the time, and you don't do this. You'd get fired as GM if you did. But when I was the Bengals last year trying to think through that process, it's like, yeah, Joe Burrow is awesome, like, but why don't maybe you think about trading down and like taking a tackle and being bad again next year and then taking Lawrence because behind that offensive line, you're going to get your quarterback killed. And it did. it's what happened. And it wasn't a thing. Like he was getting hit more than any quarterback in the NFL all of last year, vicious hits. And it was predictable as much as I hate that it was. And I think just so much about playing quarterback in the NFL is the same thing for Mahomes. I think like 75% of it's situational. Where do you end up? Does it complement your skill set and your mentality? Are you there in the right moment? And I think that's like 75% of the battle with finding the right quarterback. And by the way, here's the other thing. When you look at the best rebuilds in the NFL, it doesn't start with the quarterback. It ends with it. Right. That's what takes you to the next level. And so many teams, I think, get it backwards where they're trying to get the quarterback immediately. And it just is never going to work out that way. Uh, you're going to put them in a bad situation. And, yeah, they may be over, able to overcome it, but they're probably going to be a little bit damaged from it um, mentally or physically. Um, and you may be able to still win that way if it's like a really special player. But it's just not the most efficient way to go about things. It's not the way to set your guy up for success the best way. And, like, again, I just circle back to the Chiefs of, like, hey, it's a good team. They traded up. They took a gamble on a guy that had some fundamental flaws that they had a plan to fix. And then they did. And look at us now. And I just think that's the better way to kind of rebuild quote unquote. Well, I think across the NFL outside of the chiefs, even, I mean, that's kind of how the Ravens got to the, where they are with Lamar. I mean, they, they brought him in when they still had Flacco and they still had a competent roster around him because they knew that would give him the best chance to succeed. And, yeah. and I think that's why I think the Vikings are in that perfect perfect position this is a quarterback heavy draft class you've got a 
bunch of weapons around him. Sure, okay, the offensive line is probably the biggest issue, but it was at least serviceable this last year. It wasn't bottom five. It might have been bottom 12, but it wasn't an awful offensive line. But that's something you can fix through free agency or through the draft. And, and I think, I don't know, I, I absolutely believe the Vikings should pounce on a quarterback. I think they'd regret it if they don't. But uh, I just think they're patient enough with with Cousins. And so that's, that's kind of my pessimistic view of the Vikings future. Um, in terms of legacy building, though, you said Mahomes, you want him to be in that GOAT status. What do you think does more for his legacy, given they beat the Bills uh, this weekend? Let's say that happens. What's a better legacy builder, beating prime Aaron Rodgers or post-prime Tom Brady? Stupidly, I think for just the common fan and not to like be looking down on anybody, it's, it would be beating Tom Brady. But like the bigger task and the more epic Super Bowl would be against the Packers, um, especially because Aaron Rodgers was Pat before Pat, right? And for Rodgers, the whole thing was that he was in the exact situation, and this is what I always get afraid of, is he was in the – exact same situation that Pat's in now where he immediately had instant success and won the Super Bowl and we're like this is going to be a dynasty and then they never got back and like for Pat um, because they mirror each other so much like he really is kind of a marriage of Barb and Rodgers that's the best way I can put his skill set because it is so unprecedented um, for him I think from a football standpoint from the best matchup standpoint because I think we would hose Tampa Bay if we saw them again. Um, if they play Green Bay, that would be an awesome game. And I think that would just be better for football. But I think also, like, the narrative of he's taking over um, for Brady and this is the handing of the torch, it would just be too strong of a narrative to fight um, on, a, like, a national perspective. But I think for real football fans, I'd rather see him play Rodgers. Yeah, I think, I mean, for me as a Vikings fan, I'd rather see him play Brady, obviously, but uh, I do agree that the the fun game would be between the Packers and Chiefs. Those offenses are electric, uh, but I guess we will see this weekend. We're getting close to running out of time here on the show. Um, so as we, as we get ready to wrap up, I'll, I figure I'll try to bring it full circle here. I know you said that you're, you're an ambitious guy and uh, you have set a lot of goals for yourself and a lot of that comes from your roots and so this is a question I like to ask on here. What, what would be your, your advice that you would give to Peyton Gallagher from five years ago? Just stay after it. Keep your head up. Don't be scared of who you are. Um, and, you know, don't stop because people are telling you you can't do it because I got plenty of that in high school. I got plenty of that in middle school. And there are people in my corner. Yeah, those are the people you need to listen to. Keep those people close. Um, the people who believe in you, the people who push you keep them around you because you'll be a lot better off for it. Well, that's, uh, that's some good advice to live by. I appreciate you coming on the show. Uh, and this is, this has been rewarding for me for sure. I'm, I'm looking forward. This is a good way to kick off the the new season of what's the score. We're back finally after a month long hiatus. So uh, I'm pumped for the rest of this season of what's the score and, and everything that's on blaze radio. Uh, we'll see you again next Thursday at fourth. Uh, sorry. We're at 7 PM now new time. I'm getting used to that. Uh, I'll see you next Thursday at 7 PM here uh, on what's the score on blaze radio at blaze radio online.com for Peyton Gallagher. I'm Gannon Hannibal. We'll see you next Thursday.